Chapter Three of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter Three. At this period, Adeline's ambition had led her to form new plans, which Mrs. Woodville's death left her at liberty to put in execution. Whenever the old lady reminded her that she was no genius, Adeline had felt as much degraded as if she had said that she was no conjurer and though she was too humble to suppose that she could ever equal her mother she was resolved to try to make herself more worthy of her by imitating her in those pursuits and studies on which were founded mrs mowbray's pretensions to superior talents she therefore made it her business to inquire what those studies and pursuits were and finding that mrs mowbray's noted superiority was built on her passion for abstruse speculations, Adeline eagerly devoted her leisure hours to similar studies. But unfortunately these new theories and these romantic reveries, which only served to amuse Mrs. Mowbray's fancy, her more enthusiastic daughter resolved to make conscientiously the rules of her practice. And while Mrs. Mowbray expended her eccentric philosophy in words, as Mr. Shandy did his grief, adeline carefully treasured up hers in her heart to be manifested only by its fruits one author in particular by a train of reasoning captivating though sophistical and plausible though absurd made her a delighted covert to his opinions and prepared her young and impassioned heart for the practice of vice by filling her mind ardent in the love of virtue with new and singular opinions on the subject of moral duty on the works of this writer adeline had often heard her mother decent in terms of the highest praise she did not feel herself so completely this covert on her own conviction till she had experienced the fatal fascination of his style and been conveyed by his bewitching pen from the world as it is into a world as it ought to be this writer whose name was glen murray amongst other institutions attacked the institution of marriage and after having elaborately pointed out its folly and its wickedness he drew so delightful a picture of the superior purity as well as happiness of a union cemented by no ties but those of love and honor that adeline wrought to the highest pitch of enthusiasm for a new order of things entered into a solemn compact with her to act when she was introduced into society according to the rules laid down by this writer unfortunately for her she had no opportunity of hearing these opinions combated by the good sense and sober experience of dr norbury then their sole visitant for at this time the american war was the object of attention to all europe and as mrs mowbray as well as dr norbury were deeply interested in the subject they scarcely ever talked on any other and even glenmurray and his theories were driven from mrs mowbray's remembrance by political tracts and the eager anxieties of a politician nor had she even leisure to observe that while she was feeling all the generous anxiety of a citizen of the world for the sons and daughters of american independence her own child was imbibing through her means opinions dangerous to her well-being as a member of any civilized society and laying perhaps the foundation to herself and her mother of future misery and disgrace alas the astrologer in the fable was but too like mrs mowbray but even had adeline had an opportunity 
of discussing her new opinions with dr norbury it is not at all certain that she would have had the power mrs mowbray was if i may be allowed the expression a show-off woman and loved the information which she acquired less for its own sake than for the supposed importance which it gave her amongst her acquaintance and the means of displaying her superiority over other women but she secluded herself from society in order to study education she had been the terror of the ladies in the neighborhood since despising small talk she would always insist on making the gentlemen of her acquaintances as much terrified sometimes as their wives engage with her in some literary or political conversation she wanted to convert every drawing-room into an arena for the mind and all her guests into intellectual gladiators she was often heard to interrupt two grave matrons in an interesting discussion of an accoutrement by asking them if they had read a new theological tract or a pamphlet against the minister if they softly expiated on the ladylike fatigue of body which they had endured she discoursed in the choice terms on the energies of the mind and she never received or paid visits without convincing the company that she was the most wise most learned and most disagreeable of companions but adeline on the contrary studied merely from the love of study and not with a view to shine on conversation nor dare she venture to expatiate on subjects which she had often heard mrs woodville say were very rarely canvassed or even alluded to by women she remained silent therefore on the subject nearest her heart from choice as well as necessity in the presence of dr norbury till at length she imbibed the political mania herself and soon found it impossible to conceal the interest which she took in the success of the infant republic she therefore one day put into the doctor's hands some bouts rhymes which she had written on some recent victory of the american arms exclaiming with a smile i too am a politician and was rewarded by an exclamation of zounds girl i protest you are as clever as your mother this unexpected declaration fixed her in the path of literary ambition and though wisely resolved to fulfil as usual every feminine duty adeline was more convinced than she like her mother that a right to be an author a politician and a philosopher while dr norbury's praises of her daughter convinced mrs mowbray that almost unconsciously she had educated her into a prodigy and confirmed her in her intention of exhibiting herself and adeline to the admiring world during the next season at bath for at bath she expected to receive that admiration which she had vainly sought in london soon after their marriage mr mowbray had carried his lovely bride to the metropolis where she expected to receive the same homage which had been paid to her charms at the assized balls in her neighborhood what then must have been her disappointment when instead of hearing as she passed that is miss woodville the rich heiress or the great genius or the great beauty or that is the beautiful mrs mowbray she walked unknown and unobserved in public and in private and found herself of as little importance to the wide world of the metropolis as the most humble of her acquaintance in a country ballroom true she had beauty but then it was unset off by fashion nay more it was eclipsed by unfashionable and tasteless attire and her manner though stately and imposing in an assembly where she was known 
was wholly unlike the manners of the world, and in a London party appeared arrogant and offensive. Her remarks, too, wise as they appeared to her and Mr. Mowbray, excited little attention, as the few persons to whom they were known in the metropolis were wholly ignorant of her high pretensions, and knew not that they were discoursing with a professed genius and on the oracle of a provincial circle. Some persons, indeed, surprised at hearing from the lips of eighteen observations on morals, theology, and politics, listened to her with wonder, and even attention, but turned away observing. Such things, tis true, are neither new nor rare. The only wonder is how they got there. Till at length, disappointed, mortified, and disgusted, Mrs. Mowbray impatiently returned to Rose Valley, where in beauty, in learning, and in grandeur, she was unrivaled, and where she might deal out her dogmas, sure of exciting respectful attention, however she might fail of calling forth a more flattering tribute from her auditors. But in the narrow field of Bath, she expected to shine forth with greater eclat than in London, and to obtain admiration more worthy of her acceptance than any which a country circle could offer. To Bath, therefore, she prepared to go, and the young heart of Adeline beat high with pleasure at the idea of mixing with that busy world which her fancy had often clothed in the most winning attractions. But her joy and Mrs. Mowbray's was a little overclouded at the moment of their departure by the sight of dr norbury's melancholy countenance what was to be as they fondly imagined their gain was his loss and with a full heart he came to bid them adieu for adeline he had conceived not only affection but esteem amounting almost to veneration for she appeared to him to unite various and opposing excellencies though possessed of taste and talents for literature she was skilled in the minutest details of housewifery and feminine occupations, and at the same time she bore her faculty so meekly that she never wounded the self-love of any one by arrogating to herself any superiority. Such Adeline appeared to her excellent old friend, and his affection for her was, perhaps, increased by the necessity which he was under of concealing it at home. The praises of Mrs. Mowbray and Adeline were odious to the ears of Mrs. Norbury and his daughters, but especially the praises of the latter, as the merit of Adeline was so uniform that even the eye of envy could not at that period discover anything in their vulnerable to censure, and as the sound of her name excited in his family a number of bad passions and corresponding expressions of countenance, the doctor wisely resolved to keep his feelings with regard to her locked up in his own bosom. But he persisted in visiting at the park daily, and it is no wonder, therefore, that the loss, even for a few months, of the society of its inhabitants should by him be anticipated as a serious calamity. Zounds! cried he, as Adeline, with an exulting bound, sprang after her mother into the carriage. How gay and delighted you are, though my heart feels devilish, queer, and heavy. My dear friend, cried Mrs. Mowbray, I must miss your society wherever I go. I wish you were going too, said Adeline. I shall often think of you. Pshaw, girl, don't lie, replied Dr. Norbury, swallowing a sigh as he spoke. You will soon forget an old fellow like me. Then I conclude that you will soon forget us. He? How? What? Think so at your peril. 
I must think so, as we usually judge of others by ourselves. Go to, go, Miss Malapert. Well, but drive on, coachman. This taking leave is plaguy disagreeable, so shake hands and be off. They gave him their hands, which he pressed very affectionately, and the carriage drove on. I am an old fool, cried the doctor, wiping his eyes as the carriage disappeared. Well, God grant, sweet innocent, that you may return to me as happy and spotless as you are now. Mrs. Mowbray had been married at a very early age, and had accepted in Mr. Mowbray the first man who addressed her. Consequently, that passion for personal admiration, so natural to woman, had in her never been gratified, nor even called forth but seeing herself at the age of thirty-eight possessed of almost undiminished beauty she recollected that her charms had never received that general homage for which nature intended them and she who at twenty had disregarded even to a fault the ornaments of dress was now at the age of thirty-eight eager to indulge in the extremes of decoration and to share in the delights of conquest and admiration with her youthful and attractive daughter attractive rather than handsome was the epithet best suited to describe adeline mowbray her beauty was the beauty of expression of countenance not regularity of feature though the uncommon fairness and delicacy of her complexion the lustre of her hazel eyes her long dark eyelashes and the profusion of soft light hair which curled over the ever mantling colour of her cheek gave her some pretensions to what is denominated beauty but her own sex declared she was plain and perhaps they were right though the other protested against the decision and probably they were right also what women criticize in detail men admire in the aggregate women reason and men feel when passing judgment on female beauty and when a woman declares another to be plain the chances are that she is right in her opinion as she cannot, from her being a woman, feel the charm of that power to please, that something than beauty dearer, which often throws a veil over the irregularity of features, and obtains for even a plain woman, from men at least, the appellation of pretty. Whether Adeline's face were plain or not, her form could defy even the severity of female criticism. She was indeed tall, almost to a masculine degree, but such were the roundness and proportions of her limbs, such the symmetry of her whole person such the lightness and gracefulness of her movements and so truly feminine were her look and manner that her superior height was forgotten in the superior loveliness of her figure it is not to be wondered at then that miss mowbray was an object of attention and admiration at bath as soon as she appeared nor that her mother had her share of flattery and followers indeed when it was known that Mrs. Mowbray was a rich widow, and Adeline dependent upon her, the mother became, in the eyes of some people, much more attractive than her daughter. It was impossible, however, that in such a place as Bath, Mrs. Mowbray and Adeline could make, or rather retain, a general acquaintance. Their opinions on most subjects were so very different from those of the world, and they were so little conscious, from the retirement in which they had lived, that this difference existed or was likely to make them enemies not that a day elapsed in which they did not shock the prejudices of some and excite the contemptuous pity of others and they soon saw their acquaintance coolly dropped by those who as persons of family and fortune 
had on their first arrival sought it with eagerness but this was not entirely owing to the freedom of their sentiments on politics or on other subjects but because they associated with a well-known but obnoxious author a man whose speculations had delighted the inquiring but ignorant lover of novelty terrified the timid indolator of ancient usages and excited the regret of the cool and rational observer regret that eloquence so overwhelming powers of reasoning so acute activity of research so praiseworthy and a love of investigation so ardent should be thrown away on the discussion of moral and political subjects incapable of teaching the world to build up again with more beauty and propriety a fabric which they were perhaps calculated to pull down in short mrs mowbray and adeline associated with glen murray that author over whose works they had long delighted to meditate and who had completely led their imaginations captive before the fascination of his countenance and manners had come in aid of his eloquence End of chapter three recording by pam moscato